Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread. Hey guys, before we get to this week's episode, I wanted to send every single one of you a special thanks for taking part in the Summer in the Skies fan art contest. We had over 60 submissions of incredible artwork submitted, and after a very hard couple rounds of voting, I wanted to send my congratulations out to our runner-ups, Melinda M. and Ben S., and another special congratulations to our winner, Nick S. Ben and Melinda will be getting a nice little runner-up gift soon. And Nick will have his design available in the Somewhere in the Sky store, making money on every order. And he'll receive a gift basket full of items with his winning design. Compliments of Somewhere in the Skies and our merch company, Tee Public. I was completely overwhelmed with the quantity and quality of all of these submissions. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you. All of the designs will be featured on our official website soon. But for now, head on over to tpublic.com and search for the Somewhere in the Sky store to get your merch today. Again, that's tepublic.com and search for Somewhere in the Skies. This week, we are talking to author, TV personality, podcast host, and fellow rogue planeteer, Jason McClellan. We chat all about the latest Navy UFO video, released by Jeremy Corbell, which shows a Pentagon-confirmed unidentified object submerging into the ocean, supposedly. We do include the actual audio from the video in this conversation, but for full context, you definitely have to check out the video over at Jeremy Corbell's website. That's ExtraordinaryBeliefs.com. Jason and I will also be talking about the Inspector General getting involved with the UAP Task Force the controversial new book on the Trinity UFO crash of 1945 by co-authors Jacques Vallée and Paula Harris. We also talk about the new Demi Lovato UFO show coming to Peacock and what comes next as we hurdle towards the deadline on the Pentagon UAP report. Enjoy. We have some very exciting breaking news from our very good friend, Jeremy Corbell. But more importantly, Jason, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. It's been a while, brother. I know, I know. I've been uh, kind of holed up and living the hermit life lately. I'm, uh, I'm, as you can see, not in my normal setting. Once again, I escaped New York for the, God, I think the third time now since the lockdown. So um, I'm in Hawaii, so you'll probably hear a lot of birds chirping and 
dogs barking, but um, it's better than sirens and ambulances and <laughs> and all that crazy stuff in New York. So how are you doing um, with everything? Everyone's getting vaccinated. The world is reopening. How's it going over there in Arizona? Dude, things are good. Things are good. I mean, it feels like we're slowly coming back to life. Things are getting back. Trips are starting to be planned. It's an exciting time. So, yeah. I, but I won't be back to being completely great until you and I can finally get together again and get into trouble in real life. <laughs> As we always do. And we're already making those plans off air. We've already kind of discussed when we're going to make that happen. And I'm excited, man. Finally, my job on Broadway is hopefully coming back. A lot of Broadway shows so have announced their... Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, now, whether or not my specific job on Broadway is coming back has yet to be seen, but Broadway itself is returning. And I think we need live theater now more than ever. So, um, hey, yeah, me too, man. Not just because it pays the bills, but it's just like I live and breathe theater. I, I know people who watch and support a lot of what I do know that that's what I do. I live in New York. I'm a struggling artist, playwright, actor, director, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so I'm excited. But um, more exciting is all of this crazy UFO news that we're going to talk about today. Um, let's see who we got in the chat first. Scott Austin's here. Uh, ben, welcome to the show, Ben. Uh, ben actually came in second place for my ultimate oh, Somewhere in the Skies fan art contest. He did the, uh, the Tic Tac attack, the terror in Tehran, uh, the Foo Fighters one. Oh my God. And he's done such a great job, you know, not just with this contest, but over the years. And I think what you need to do with those, Ryan, is you need to work with him and there needs to be a Somewhere in the Skies graphic novel. you pretty much already have half the novel there i've got it already there i know i know it's already there well i'm really looking forward to continuing to work with ben i think he's in australia um so we're definitely gonna get some sort of graphic novel thing going i've already talked to a lot of the artists who submitted about doing stuff like that and i was just so incredibly honored for all the submissions so if anyone out there is watching or listening and took part in the fan art contest thank you i was uh beyond overwhelmed by that. But this isn't about me, Jason. Let's talk about the breaking news from our very good friend, Jeremy Corbell. And that is the uh, the Omaha uh, spherical UFO video that he dropped. So before we even talk about it, I'm going to go ahead and play the video that Jeremy and I believe uh, George Knapp also released today on the Omaha. So let's go ahead and play that. Frank Omaha, pick me kid, Rockdale Pearls with pass ability to launch Hilo ASAP. Ah, man, that's pretty crazy. I mean, again, Jeremy's dropped some some stuff in the past couple weeks that's been very contentious. Uh, The Pyramid video, first and foremost, and now this. And I, I, you know, again, whenever videos come out, I know Jason, probably just like you, I'm like, 
all right, here we go. Here comes the weeks of arguments and debates and uh, everything in between. So Jeremy definitely knows what he's doing. But um, initial reactions, what do you think of the video? This is cool. You know, we have certainly been hyped up in uh, just just the last year, really, um, to this transmedium vehicle uh, you know, discussion about vehicles being able to both fly in the sky and enter the water, maneuver underwater, and even in some cases reemerge from the water and uh, go back to flying in the sky. Very cool stuff, not the typical stuff we see uh, with a lot of UFO videos. So this is very cool. You've got to consider the, the origin of the video from a military source. And already, thanks to just amazing researchers, and this one I think the credit goes to Micah Hanks at the debrief, already got confirmation from Susan Goff that this is in fact an authentic video. It was shot by Navy personnel. So that has been authenticated, uh, at least confirmed, that it, it comes from a, a Navy source. But beyond that, of course, they refuse to comment or say anything additional about um, you know, what the, the UAP task force is doing with this, why it was included in a briefing, whether it's considered an unknown still. So lots of unanswered questions. But uh, in Jeremy's release, he provides lots of details. And again, we don't know, you know, those details. We don't have official confirmation on those details. But he does a good job of laying it out. And both Jeremy and uh, George Knapp on their individual websites, they have the the sort of dialogue that we heard going on there in the video. If you weren't able to, so that you know, add some context and some some intrigue to the video as well. It's really cool to watch. But you know, as with all of these things, we're kind of left with more questions than anything. You know, we can look at it as as viewers, as an audience, and go, "Wow, that that seems pretty remarkable at face value." And, you know, that's how it works with most UFO photos and videos. Exactly. I mean, we always have to remain cautious until we get more data and everything. But, um, you know, I will say you're right. I think uh, Jeremy laid the context out for this one pretty well. It wasn't just a blurry video that we knew nothing about when it happened, where it happened. I mean, let's give a little background here. Um, Jeremy said that this footage was filmed in the Combat Information Center on the USS Omaha on July 15, 2019, in a warning area off San Diego. So again, we're moving back to the West Coast, where all these things seem to be happening. Uh, the footage depicts UAP event series that reached a crescendo with an unknown target entering the water. Like you mentioned again, transmedium, we have an object going into the ocean. Uh, and these guys on the Omaha, pretty surprised that it did that. Um, but like you mentioned, uh, we still don't know what it is. One of the people on the Omaha did, one of the crewmen did talk to Jeremy and said, in the end, I'm 50-50 that it's man-made tech from somewhere. Either way, it's world-changing because of the incredible energy capacity of the craft. So again, whether we're dealing with something extraterrestrial or from a a uh, rival nation, the technology being displayed, I think is again, what always astounds me and continues to astound the people shooting these videos. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to where this story is going. I know, like we said, with these videos, we're going to see a lot of breakdowns in the next couple of days. We'll probably see uh, mainstream media picking it up again um, because that seems to be what's happening. As of late, we've got some other mainstream stories we're going to talk about in a little bit. But yeah, anything else you want to add to this Omaha breaking story by uh, 
Jeremy Corbell? Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's it's pretty exciting, um, exciting footage, um, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But it is important for people to remember that we are working with extremely limited data here. We don't yeah. know the context in which it was filmed. We don't know if you know this was part of an exercise that the people filming it were well aware of what was going on, you know. But it just seems we and looks weird uh, on the camera on the video as they're doing it. And so, I mean, we really don't know. We know that uh, it was reportedly tracked on radar, which is is helpful. But again, there's lots and lots and lots of just missing details that we don't have. So we're left with a lot of assumptions. That's all we can do. And we can hope that we get more information. But again, if this is part of a, a military training exercise, or even if it's not, even if it is a true unknown, I mean, it raises a lot of questions too as to why this video is an unclassified video. Would the military right. really release a video and, and have it be unclassified if it were a true unknown, if the military did not know what it was, if they thought it was a threat, and obviously anything they don't know what it is, it is viewed as a threat. So why is this? The leak, leaking information is a completely separate issue, but the fact that this not only is reportedly an unclassified video, but also the second it drops, the Pentagon is happy to say, yes, we're, we're happy to confirm that that came from official Navy sources. That is such a good point. I mean, what is going on? Yeah, we, I mean, we had the three original Navy videos that dropped um, that we know were given to Christopher Mellon, released to the New York Times. And look how long it took for the Pentagon to comment or officially acknowledge the videos. But you're right. Now that the task force is in motion, that the report is going to be due in supposedly June, we'll see if that happens. Why are they so quick? To be like, yep, that is, yep, yep, yep. I do wonder, too, why not only the videos are being released, but why are they being leaked and to whom? I think we we always have to keep in mind who's getting this stuff, whether it's Jeremy or The Debrief or uh, Rogue Planet or literally anyone. Why are they? Um, why are they doing it? The motive behind leaking these things? Who's doing it? And we might not ever know those answers. But uh, yeah, man, I think it's it's good. I'll take all the UAP videos we can, even if they're unclassified or even if they're, um, you know, not even if they are explained, um, they're still cool to look at and to try to figure out. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Let's, um, I guess, move on to our our next story. And you did mention Micah Hanks over at the debrief. This was a story that the debrief broke um, maybe about a week ago or so with um, Tim McMillan. Uh, this was the um, the IG evaluating the UAP task force. Um, yeah, this is pretty interesting. We're learning that uh, the task force now has someone overseeing the work that they're doing. They seem to not be too happy with how they're handling the whole issue over there. So, uh, yeah, looks like we're going to get the uh, the general going in to kind of evaluate what's going on. So what do you make of this whole story? Well, it's interesting. And again, we're just left with assumption. We don't know what prompted this uh, involvement of the inspector general. Um, we also know that I, I think the report or the evaluation was supposed to um, not take that long. So they may have already concluded what they needed to conclude. But, but regardless, 
we have only a few options here as to why the IG would get involved. And you look at the purpose of the IG, what they do, the Department of Defense Office of Inspector General, they, their mission, they have three bullet points of their mission. The first is to detect and deter fraud, waste, and abuse in the Department of Defense programs and operation. If that's why they're involved with what's going on with this report request, that's not really a good sign. You know, that would indicate that somebody views this as a waste of time, a waste of money, um, and not, not worth a worthwhile effort. That wouldn't be good. Um, the second part of their mission is to promote the economy, efficiency, and effectiveness of the DOD. That's likely what's going hmm. on here um, because somebody may have raised a concern that the this process wasn't going as, as speedy as they would like it to, or that, understandably, there are actors in this process who aren't cooperating. And that right there is what prompted the report request to start with. We mm-hmm. have this already strange issue of, of UFOs, but you have a government and military that doesn't like to talk to each other. You've got these different agencies and different branches of the military that are sort of in competition, even though they're on the same side. They're doing their own thing and not necessarily wanting to share all the data with the other branches and agencies. And so this report request was primarily made to try to facilitate some information sharing and come up with a plan for these agencies and departments to share information so they get a better picture of what's going on in the world of UFOs and what these other branches are experiencing and how they're handling it, all of that. So it's a big communication problem from the outset. So it makes sense that the IG would come in and and try to help in that process, facilitate some, uh, you know, communication and get that information sharing to happen. I think that's probably what's happening here, but we don't know. The third part of their mission is to help ensure ethical conduct throughout the DOD. Again, we could see many problems here. And as we just talked about, this seemingly rampant leaking of information from the UAP task force. What is going on? Like, and they're only one of the actors in this report request. They're not the ones putting the report together. They're one of the people, one of the groups that was asked to assemble information for this report. So the fact that already in briefings they're giving, their information, their videos, their photos are leaking out to everybody, it certainly would raise questions, I would think, in, in the government and so IEG possibly stepping in to ensure ethical conduct, that, that's a, a real possibility as well, I think. Right, right. Ethical conduct, meaning probably whoever's leaking all this stuff as well. You, you really do have to wonder. Right. Yeah. I mean, they just rolled this thing out. They just started this process and already it's just falling apart. You know, they've got no, no integrity with the whole process. It's, it's just red flags all over the place and, and can't be good for the longevity of any sort of UFO project. Right. Well, let me ask you that. I mean, Project Blue Book ran for, you know, how many years? Do you think something like this UIP task force is going to become a consistent thing? I mean, right now it's looking like it's uh, working out a lot of kinks and they have no idea what the hell they're really doing. But, you know, I talked to Christopher Mellon, I think, yesterday about this. Uh 
will there be a consistent, you know, sort of branch or office set up, uh, not just a task force? You know, we know task forces as we go after something, we solve it, we move on. Task force right. sort of dissipates. But will this become an official program like ATIP again? What do you think? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And and you're right. Task force are are specific to a task. They are temporary. And uh, you know, often very short lived. They're they're just these these brief things that come on to to do a purpose, and they're done. In this case, it seems to be to help get information for this report. Um, as far as a permanent group specifically looking at the UFO issue and, and actually doing investigation, um, I think it's looking more and more like something like that will probably happen. However, I don't see it running as long as something like Project Blue Book because here's the other confusing thing. The military and the government have been down this road so many times before, and they've reached conclusions so many times before. So why would they then do the same thing again and again and again and likely reach the same conclusion? It seems like a waste of time and a waste of money, and maybe that's why the IG is getting involved. But they've already <laughs> gone down this road and, like you said, researched it for decades and reached an ultimate conclusion of, number one, they don't pose a threat. But number two, we're not really going to gain anything new by continuing to spend the time and energy into looking at this. There's no more we can do. Let's move on. And that's what they've mm-hmm. done. That's what the UK did. It, and honestly, and you know this, as UFO researchers, we, we live and breathe this stuff, but that's the hard reality of UFOs. It's an unsolvable mystery because yeah. UFOs aren't one singular thing. We group them into the UFO phenomenon just because that's, you know, they're re- related in that sense and that they're, they're mysterious things in the sky and the water and other places too. But it's a very broad, you know, sort of collection of various things that are happening, most of which are completely unrelated. Every UFO sighting is different. Every UFO is different. They share some similarities and some might be related, but they're all separate incidents. So just because you solve one or identify one, that doesn't mean that all UFOs are that. You know, it, it, and it's not even giving you a small piece of a puzzle. It's just, I don't know, it, it's such a grand thing that has so many different elements to it that studying one UFO is not going to give you the answers to the phenomenon, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a winless battle. I really do. Um, but that being said, I never think we should stop looking into it. It is a mystery and it deserves to be studied. And I firmly believe that the scientific community should be the ones looking into this because the governments and the military have done what they're doing and, and they're looking at it from a military threat perspective. But this goes way beyond you know, their, their viewpoint, what they're used to looking at. And we need the scientific community, the mainstream scientific community, taking this seriously and doing an ongoing evaluation of it because it's something that's always changing and always different. It's a frustrating thing. Again, they're not going to find answers, but they might be able to solve some things. They might be able, be able to provide insight into some things. And as you know, Ryan, I'm a proponent of doing all the things all the time. So <laughs> I, don't, I certainly don't think that the government should stop. You know, I do think that there is a 
potential threat there when you don't know what something in your airspace is. That's obviously a potential threat. It doesn't mean that whatever is in the sky being seen is hostile. It means that it's a potential threat because you have no idea what it is. So obviously the military needs to look into that. And one could argue they do. I mean, that's what the military does. That's what force is charged with. And perhaps why the Air Force, who's already gone down this road so many times before, has been very silent in letting the Navy, you know, yap all it wants. Because the Air Force, this is what they do. This is their day-to-day job. They are charged with our airspace and protecting uh, our airspace security. So, you know, that's what the military is and that's what the military does. So... Separating it out into something different seems kind of silly, but at the same time, with the limited information we're getting, it seems like it might be necessary. So who knows? I mean, we're, again, with all things UFO, and certainly with the government, and understandably so, we're only getting very small bits of information, and we're not uh, privy to what, what is going on and what they're actually doing. Yeah, we aren't getting the full picture, and they seem to love to do these things in little little breadcrumbs. Uh, but you bring up a good point of the scientific community. Uh, we had a really good story um, that we we did over at uh, Medium, actually, with on the trail of uh, UFOs with Bryce Sable, uh, where I spoke to Robert Powell at the Scientific Coalition for. UAP studies, and they were able to get 55 members of the SCU to go on the record, sign a petition to the Senate Intelligence Committee and, you know, seemingly the Pentagon uh, to work with them. You have these brilliant minds from all over the world interested in the UAP topic, ready to do science, ready to show them what they've discovered about, you know, the Tic Tac video or uh, the Aguadilla, Puerto Rico airport case and uh, bring it to them to be like, hey, you know, if you're looking at this and you think it's a potential threat and you want to understand the technology, here's some physicists. Here's some people that do this kind of science. Like, let's work with them. So um, I thought that was pretty cool to see that they they sent this petition off and that a lot of the academics and scientists in the coalition were willing to put their names out there and be like, there's something to this. We got to look into this. So, yeah, yeah let's awesome. hope. So it's so, so valuable. And from a government standpoint, from from government studies, military studies, that is sorely needed because people need to remember that. People in the UAP task force, people, you know, assigned to various posts within the military to look at UFOs are very unlikely to be people who are familiar with UFOs, with UFO history, with really anything related to UFOs. So it's very valuable to have the input um, from from people on the outside, people who have looked into this before, including from a... Uh, you know, an explanation or even a debunking standpoint because we in the UFO community are hyper-focused on this stuff and we, for lack of a better, or not lack of a better, this is the best expression, um, (laughs) bursting the bubble or bursting a balloon because that is what we've been able to do by analyzing and and being so hyper-focused on so many videos and photos over the years that if we see... not that we're we're experts by any means. Nobody's an expert in UFOs, but we've seen videos of balloons before doing crazy things. We've seen videos of Chinese lanterns doing strange things in the sky. We've seen videos of blimps 
um, you know, for certain perspectives that look very bizarre in the night sky and look like they're doing some alien, otherworldly maneuvers. I mean, this is stuff that we've seen before and been disappointed because we've found terrestrial explanations for things, <laughs> conventional explanations. But that is really 90% of a UFO researcher's job, I think. That's just responsible uh, investigation right there. And that is what I think the government needs right now because, again, these are just people. They're not trained in this stuff. They're just normal people. And when you see something that is unusual to you, something you haven't seen before in a, uh, a, you know, something in an environment or, or a situation that uh, you haven't seen before, it's going to look alien. It's going to look very foreign. So, you know, and that still happens to us all the time because we are always exposed to, to new experiences. That is just part of being human. I mean, I'm, I'm an extraterrestrial myself, so I can't speak to that all that much. But, I mean, you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's just something that comes with, with years of being exposed to this and being hyper-focused on it that not other people really have the, the benefit of having in their wheelhouse. I think the more I get into the UFO topic and the more I start to, um, I guess, get more scientifically based with it. You know, I am a guy who comes from a world of telling stories. So I love witness testimony. I love telling UFO stories. I love hearing UFO stories. Yeah. But I think I'm kind of entering a new age of my own I wouldn't even call it investigation because I'm not really an investigator. Um, but my research is I'm excited to find prosaic explanations for a lot of these things. Cause I think that's awesome that that technology does exist on this planet. Now, if it's in the hands of an adversary who wants to use it against the United States, that's another problem, but we're not seeing that. We're not seeing these technology displayed in a very malevolent nature. They might be, and like you said, that potential threat will always be there because we don't know what it is. And the potential threat can come in how we react to it as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's awesome when we can have scientists uh, or photographic or video analysts explain what we're looking at and not debunk, but, you know, just analyze it and say, Hey, I don't think we're de dealing with, you know, a craft from Zeta Reticuli. This is what it could be. I think that's cool. And I think um, the UFO community has to be more open to that and not immediately dismiss the, uh, the skeptics out there um, coming up with explanations for this. We're going to see a ton of, um, presumed or uh, uh, theories on what Jeremy Corbell released today coming out in the next couple of days. We know that. That's how these things work. And we're going to see people sure arguing. The first 30 minutes, we already saw. 30 minutes, dude. Mick Even West in the chat here. Mick West already yep. saw a balloon. So, I mean, it happens. And look, it's, it's extremely valuable and important for the UFO community to accept that as an important part of UFO research because it really is. And it only yeah. does a disservice to the credibility of UFO research to come out you know, with your, your bullhorn and announcing everything is, is extraterrestrial spacecraft or the most, most amazing UFO video ever seen and everybody needs to see this and this is world changing because you know what? things really aren't like that. I mean, they are to us in the UFO community, but the world's going to watch stuff like that. It, it'll, you know, make its rounds on Twitter and on and media outlets around the world for, for a few days. But 
then people move on. I mean, it's not going to change their lives. We get excited about it because it's what we do and it's where our fascination and interests lie. But that's the way it works. And we only look ridiculous and it makes the whole subject of UFOs seem like that uh, that old stereotype of, of crazy nuts when we loudly <laughs> proclaim things, every single video, as being an alien spaceship and ridiculing and, and chastising anybody who comes up with a plausible or alternative explanation. It's really sloppy. It, it's detrimental to legitimate UFO study. And I, I agree with you, Ryan. I think, I think anytime you can come up with a prosaic explanation, it is a fantastic win, and it's a great learning experience. It really helps UFO researchers going forward to be able to identify things that, that we've identified in the past to get past that and you know, focus on the more, more exciting things. And that's exactly what this comment here from Tanino uh, says. The debunking is exactly what helps us recognize what's worth digging deeper into. I think he summarized that very well. Once we have an explanation, we can then infuse that into every new UFO case going forward, build off of it and be like, huh, we still have a true unknown. So yeah, it's exciting. It's absolutely exciting. What's up guys, Ryan Sprague here, and I'm just dropping in to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Somewhere in the Skies is always free to consume, but it's not free to create. So if you want to help the show on a monthly basis, we have tons of rewards for you in return, including shoutouts on the show and website, bonus content and episodes, and free merch. Want to be my guest or pick a topic for the show? You can do that too. So if you'd like to learn more and to help support the show, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. Thank you and keep looking up. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Well, I guess let's move on to our next story, a bit more on the, uh, I'd say, contentious side. My hero in the UFO field, and I know many others as well, Jacques Vallée, computer scientist, UFO researcher, folklorist, renaissance man in every way, shape, and form, uh, was going to be coming out with a book uh, that we presumed he was writing by himself all about his work with uh, possible materials recovered from UFO craft. And everyone was super excited. Um, it finally went up on Amazon for pre-order. And I know everyone was like, click, 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 click. And then boom, it disappeared. So immediately everyone shouted, cover up. They got to him. It's not coming out now. And then a couple days later, uh, something breaks that uh, Jacques Vallée is working with Italian UFO researcher, Paola Harris. Uh, the book has been re-edited. Things have been included into it. And this is a case um, that I was not familiar with, Jason, the Trinity UFO case, a possible UFO crash prior to Roswell. So before we get into the contention with who Jacques's working with and uh, even the case, had you heard of the Trinity case? And is there anything you can tell us about it? Absolutely. So, you know, first of all, I was <laughs> very... Very caught off guard and surprised when I saw that that's what this book was going to be about. Um, and even more surprised to see Jacques Vallée's involvement with it. Um, but first, yeah, the, the case from 1945, it, it's been around for, for quite a while. Um, and many, many UFO researchers have spent quite a bit of time looking into it. Um, but it really involves two key witnesses, at least to this point. We know there are more in this new book coming out. Um, but these two boys were age seven and nine, I believe, at the time. And this is in New Mexico at the, the Trinity site, which is now part of White Sands Missile Range. But this was where part of the Manhattan Project, the first nuclear detonation took place. And these boys, during that, that summer, they, they were there um, during the, the nuclear test. And shortly after that, they claimed that up on a ridge, they, they saw a, a UFO crash and a subsequent uh, retrieval that took place by the Air Force. Um, and it was a really interesting retrieval, too, where like the, the soldiers came to the, the house and asked if they could cut part of the fence away because they needed to expand the area so they could bring in heavy machinery to recover uh, a research balloon. Um, so they, they brought in machinery. They like built, uh, like used road building equipment and made, made a, an expanded road to bring in like a big flatbed truck to load whatever craft this was that crashed. Um, these witnesses claimed they even saw alien bodies um, and claimed to have both recovered uh, material and also like sort of concealed it, like threw it down in this trench so people would be able to find it later. And these guys over the years tried to get, they tried to raise money and tried to get people to go out and do an excavation to uncover some of this material. Um, I know personally, uh, you know, at Open Minds, we were, and, and many other people too, apparently, many other researchers were approached by some of these people involved wanting tens of thousands of dollars uh, to buy this alleged alien material. 
um, you know, so there were there were many red flags for for a lot of us, and you know, anytime that happens, that that leaves a bad taste in your mouth. That raises red flags. So, I mean, I'm, I just from my personal knowledge of it and my personal experience with it, I'm I'm very skeptical, um, very very not uh, not a fan of this case. That being said, though, I am objective and open minded, and of course, I will get the book, I will read it, and. Last I checked, I think the Kindle version is actually available for sale right now. So that is available on Amazon. Um, but, you know, where, where Jacques Vallée comes in, yes, he is an icon uh, of UFO research. I respect him immensely. Um, and, and not saying that anything in this book, you know, won't be very exciting or, or you know, <laughs> earth-shattering or there'll be, you know, some, some interesting... Uh, metallurgy testing that that is revealed in this. That's what I'm hoping for and I will look at. But we also have to keep in mind, and this is another very important part of being a responsible UFO researcher, is, you know, that great line from the X-Files, trust no one. That's going a little far, you know, but it's the right sentiment because we have to be careful not to put people, not to put anybody up on a pedestal so high that, we fall into hero worship, and we're blindly following things people say just because we respect them or because they're heralded as, as heroes in the UFO field. Um, you really, really have to remain objective. No matter where the information is coming from, um, you have to remain objective and understand that people are still just people. We're all just humans, and someone like Jacques, not saying this is the case, but you have to remember... He's been in this game for a very long time. He's 81 years old, I believe. Um, we've seen so many, you know, very credible people, very high, high-ranking military officials, government officials. Paul Hellyer, who you know, is also um, tied to this book a little bit because uh, Paula Harris is a big fan of his and, and, you know, has done some work with him and had him speak at her conference. And I think he has a blurb on, on this book. But Paul Hellyer is like 97 you know, and he's made some incredible, wild claims, um, you know, but primarily based on things he read, primarily, uh, you know, Timothy Good's books. Um, so it, it becomes more and more, I don't know, you have to tiptoe a little bit when, when people start getting older and older. And in the case of Jacques, we don't know how much he was involved in this either. You know, I mean, like, you asked me to write a book with you, I'd go, eh, Ryan, I like you enough. I guess I'll do it, um, my name on the book, but I'm not going to do anything. You do it. I'm too busy. Right. You know, we don't know. I'm not saying that's what happened. And I, I, I seriously doubt it. I mean, Jacques is very, very methodical. And, uh, you know, he's very interested in, in evidence and in testing and, and the science. So I suspect there'll be something good in here. I can't wait to read the book. But, you know, from the details we have and my personal experience, I do not like this case at all. Yeah, see, and that's kind of uh, where I lay right now, too. I know when the news first broke, I immediately hopped on the shaming bandwagon that we do on Twitter and everything of, oh, my God, you know what? He's working on this case. And, you know, I reached out to you, a couple other people. You said the case isn't like really worth the time. But um, look, I mean, Michael says right here, Paola Harris has credibility problems, alien mummy exploitation, star brother contactee, cultism. And um, 
we can't ignore that. I think that's where my trepidation lay in Jacques' connection to this is um, the controversial stuff that his co-author has been involved with. But, but I haven't read the book. I don't know the research they did. We don't know the results Jacques has come up with, with these materials. So just like you, um, I'm, I'm going to read it. I'm going to remain objective. I'm going to take a look at it because like you said, um, they might've found some groundbreaking new information about it. Like you mentioned, there's another witness that came forward, which is good. It's just testimony, but it's something. So yeah, I'm going to read it. Um, and look it over. And just like everything else in the field, we're going to debate it to the end of time. We're not going to find any answers and we're going to move on to the next mystery because that's what we do. We continue to chase the mystery. I mean, this, this is a, a very interesting field to be involved in. And, you know, we're dealing with, you know, like I said, an unsolvable mystery here, but, but one that's very polarizing too. And a lot of these rabbit holes you go down, you know, can be quite quite shady to some, um, and as are the personalities involved. And I've had to learn over the years to be more tolerant of that. You know, just because somebody has an affiliation with somebody else, it doesn't mean I discount their work, right? You know, completely. Um, I've known Paula for for many many years. You know, she's been a friend. Um, but you're right. I mean, many people view her as having a, a credibility problem because of the people she's she's associated herself with and some of the work she's done. I mean, she was a big, big Corso person. She worked, you know, uh, very closely with, with Colonel Corso. And uh, Jaime Mossan, you know, that's somebody that she's also, you know, very, very close with. And, you know, we could throw that right back in my face, too. I mean, I've said this before, but Jaime, for very strange reasons was actually at my wedding, right? So I guess I have credibility issues too. Um, <laughs> we all do, brother. <laughs> all of these people, it doesn't matter how I view personally their research or the things they personally believe, I can still consider them my friends, and I do. I mean, that's something that I think is hugely missing right now are UFO conferences, because we've talked about this so much over the years, Ryan, but social media is, you know, people sitting behind computers and, and not being humans with each other, not interacting, not having civil conversations and understanding that we all have this common interest. Um, we don't all believe the same things and we shouldn't, and we don't have to because UFOs is not a religion. We're all going through this journey ourselves and making our own determinations, but we're still all people with this interest and we're all still humans. We are part of a society and when you go to UFO conferences, you understand that you feel part of this community um, where people have differing viewpoints, but you're still part of that community. You still are civil to each other and you have civil debate. You discuss ideas and share ideas and communicate with each other like humans, not attacking viciously like you do behind a computer screen. But that's something that you see at UFO conferences. You see these people who, and it'll be great for people who have never been to a UFO conference to go to one where some of these people are speakers and see people who they've only seen and assumed based on what they've experienced with social media that you know people are enemies or that they hate each other and see them going out to lunch together, grabbing drinks together, um, sharing the stage together and being friends. Most UFO researchers 
are friends. At least that's how it's been. I mean, you go to a UFO conference and, you know, I had to, and, and you certainly too, when, uh, you know, we had you at the, the international UFO conference, um, you know, you're surrounded by these people, these people who, you know, have been icons in the UFO research field for, for decades. Um, and you, you get the chance to interact with them, to spend time with them, as well as all the attendees. I mean, you're just, it's, it's kind of a weird family, you know? You're just part of the same crazy family. It is a great feeling. I love that. I miss that. And most of the people in the UFO research community, I have become friends with over the years. I still consider them my friends, no matter how outlandish some of their research might be or some of their personal <laughs> beliefs might be. They're still my friends, you know, I will, I try not to, but I will publicly say sometimes when I disagree with, with certain people or I think that they're absolutely ridiculous um, and, and are making unfounded claims and, and dangerously uh, misinforming people. But on the other hand, I still consider them friends because although I joke about being an extraterrestrial, I am, am actually a human with a heart sometimes. But to my point, uh, yeah, UFO conferences are, you know, I didn't know what to expect the first time that I went to a UFO conference. It was kind of a, a, uh, a unique experience. But then when I got personally involved in, in uh, organizing and running UFO conferences, it just changed my view completely. Um, and it, one of the coolest things to, to witness, Ryan, was like that experience that people would have when they would have that realization that not only were these UFO researchers that people had read about and seen on TV approachable and they could, you know, have intimate uh, one-on-one conversations with, but also that realization of, oh, people aren't yelling at each other. People aren't hating on each other. You know, they're, they're actually being social. And this is kind of interesting to see. It's not what I expected at all. So I love seeing that yeah. people get to experience that again soon. Absolutely. It's just like anything. Like, it's the same with, I'm like really, really getting back into WWF lately, which is hilarious. Peacock has um, dropped every single pay-per-view, every Monday Night Raw since like 1993 on their streaming network. And I'm just having a field day reliving my teenage years over there. But, um, you know, you see the wrestlers, they're in there killing each other. And then after the show, they're out having a beer. They're best friends. Like yeah. it, a lot. That's just how it goes. Like there's one. There's you get your information out there at these UFO conferences. It might get heated. You might debate a lot of things because that's because because we're passionate and we we have very strong feelings and convictions about certain things. But that doesn't mean you can't have a beer and hash it out after, which is what we do. Um, right. Well, let's. Um, I guess move on to someone else that's a that's a good segue there that really is good job brother good transition um coming to the peacock network which i highly recommend to everyone out there they got a ton of good shows on there is a new show starring musician demi lovato uh she is i'm gonna read this right here um unidentified with Demi Lovato, which we will talk about, follows Lovato and her skeptical best friend Matthew and her sister Dallas as they help uncover the truth about the UFO phenomena. Good luck with that, Demi. Um, while consulting with leading experts, Demi, Dallas, and Matthew will investigate recent eyewitness encounters, which is kind of cool, um, uncover secret government reports, and conduct tests at known UFO 
hotspots. So again, this is another thing that I rushed to judgment on on social media. And I was all like, oh, really? Like there's so many female researchers who should be doing this, blah, blah, blah. But um, she's very passionate. You can tell. I know Demi's had her own UFO experiences. And the fact that they're looking at modern day eyewitness accounts and doing tests, that's awesome. I think that's going to be really cool. It's only going to be like a three or four part series. So it's not like this thing is like, you know, going to turn into the next UFO hunters. It could. Maybe she'll get picked up and they'll keep doing this for years and years. But um, what do you think? What do you think of the Demi Lovato news and this new show coming to Peacock? You know, I'm kind of desensitized at this point. So many celebrities have had UFO and UFO related shows. So isn't something new? Um, and it makes sense from a marketing perspective. And that's what TV is. It's not about uncovering truth about UFOs or educating the public. It's about entertainment. That's what TV is. They want ratings. So, you know, that's why you go to celebrities to host your show. But, you know, William Shatner does UFOs. Uh, you know, remember Sean, Sean Ryder in the UK did a show about UFOs. Um, the Osbournes have done UFOs. The Kardashians have done UFOs. I mean, this is the celebrities and UFOs have, have been a thing for so long. I mean, going back in the day, Jonathan Frakes hosted a UFO show, it was a mystery show. But yeah, I mean, this is something that is not new. And I totally understand because I work in marketing. This is makes total sense. But I, I think it's great because I've always been a proponent of highlighting celebrities who speak publicly about UFOs for the same reason that people you know, do the same thing for, for military people speaking about UFOs. You know, one, certainly that lends a little more credibility. However, celebrities have a much wider audience. So when you can have people who have a gigantic, you know, millions and millions of followers who not only listen to what you say, but when it comes to celebrities, as crazy as it is, this is the reality. They have millions of people who will believe what their heroes believe. They will want to do what their heroes do. So if they hear somebody they idolize say, I believe in UFOs, or I've seen UFOs, or I'm going to go and do this and investigate UFOs, you've got millions of people who are all of a sudden, who might not have considered that before, going, wow, well, if this person believes UFOs, then then maybe I should take a look at this. And if they're going to these hot spots and doing tests, maybe that's something I want to do. You know, and it opens people up to doing their own research into UFOs, and that is the most important thing. You and I, brother, we are proponents of public education when it comes to this, reaching out to the general public, giving them information, uh, you know, objective, unbiased information, and encouraging people to do their own research. And I think when you have celebrities involved, that's exactly what it does. You know, that's exactly what To The Stars Academy did with Tom DeLonge. That is, you know, really it opened the doors to a lot of the stuff we're seeing today. You know, people can can badmouth all, Tom all they want and, and think that there was, you know, some crazy shenanigans that went down that led to to Lou and everybody else departing. But the reality is Lou wouldn't have had a platform and nobody would have cared 
if he hadn't been part of Tom DeLonge's organization, and, and uh, it would have wouldn't have wouldn't have had the impact that it has. So I think celebrity uh, celebrity speaking out on this topic is incredibly valuable, incredibly huge, but. On the other hand, being somebody in this field, you know, I always have that same reaction as you, Ryan. Well, oh, really? There's so many better people who are, who are well-equipped for doing this legitimately, right? We're looking at it from a research standpoint, from doing actual investigation. That's not what TV's about. It really isn't. And also, I also always have the same reaction as you. Not always, but most, most of the time I have the same reaction as you, too. I'm like, oh, really? I was up for that part. <laughs> and they were asking me who they should have on that show with me. And then it's somebody else. No. Yeah. That is I mean. such a good point. Full disclosure. Um, I, w- <laughs> I don't think I even shared this with you, Jason. I was approached by NBC for a show just like this. So I'm thinking this is what it turned out to be. And they got Demi Lovato and, but you're, you're so right, brother. I was bitter. It was stupid. There's no, you know, I have been a proponent of getting younger people involved for so many years for, so for me to immediately shame a celebrity for having an interest in the topic, um, having an experience within that topic and then going out to investigate it. Like I have no place doing that. And like you said, um, she's going to bring so many younger people uh, into this world to look at the topic. And like you said, that's what we're all about public education. And while it may be TV, there's always a small nugget of learning in these shows. Um, but yeah, first and foremost, it's entertainment. Second of all, it's infotainment. So hopefully we'll see some new cases, some new witness testimony, and uh, hopefully some awesome scientific experiments if she's really going to go down that route. Yeah. But here's the thing. I mean, again, back to our earlier point of the, the damage that it can do being a, a UFO fan and you know coming out and just pushing everything even remotely related to UFOs like this show, like telling everybody, oh, go watch this show. Yeah, it's a a celebrity-hosted show about UFOs. It's going to be on Peacock. You must watch this show because it's about UFOs. I wouldn't go that far. You know, I think people who are just getting into this, it's fine to watch. But at the same time, shows like this and, and knowing Demi and probably some of those experiments that are going to happen are probably going to be based on Stephen Greer's work. And I wouldn't be surprised if Stephen Greer makes an appearance because, you know, she has you've been vocal about her experiences with uh, with Stephen Greer and the, the uh, experiences that she's had. So I would not doubt for a second that that's going to be an element of this show, which, you know, we could debate and, you know, wonder how much harm that's going to cause. But really, we can really chill out, take a chill pill <laughs> and say, look, it's a TV show. If it gets people interested, that's fantastic. You know, again, UFOs is not a religion. We're not preaching to people. If people want to, you know, try something that uh, I personally wouldn't, that's fine. I think that's great. So I'm honestly, I, I think it's great. I think any UFO show is is good. I'm glad there's that content, and I'm glad that people are are being exposed from from all sorts of angles, being exposed to the fact that UFOs are real. So, And uh, I didn't mean for anyone to catch my little face palm there when you mentioned Stephen Greer. I was supposed to keep you full I screen there. Oops. Down. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we, again, like if that turns out to be the case, um, so be it. But hey, that's, that's infotainment, I guess. Well, let's talk a little about um, not entertainment, but uh, some actual mainstream coverage that the UFO topics gotten recently. 
I mean, we had, uh, what did we have? Gideon Lewis Krauss came out with that massive beast of an article in the New Yorker. And then um, just yesterday or the day before, Ezra Klein came out with an article in the New York Times. So did you have a chance to read either of these, Jason? And uh, any new stuff or revelations you took away from them? Or, yeah, just your gut feeling about these two uh, mainstream articles in uh, the New Yorker and New York Times. Yeah, so I did read these. And ultimately, what what I think the big takeaway here is, um, and what I mainly get from it, seeing this kind of stuff, is that exactly what we want to see from everyday people finally you know, taking the chance to peer through the stigma and say, okay, I've been seeing all this this UFO banter going on and these UFO headlines and UFO videos. What is this all about? Because in my mind, UFOs are just silly. So they actually take a look. They see what's going on. They see that uh, the military is talking about this. The Pentagon is talking about this. We have authenticated videos from, from, uh, from the Pentagon, and we're seeing that UFOs are a thing. We don't know what they are. We know that the military is giving us a narrative that there are unidentified objects that their pilots are encountering and their pilots uh, are outmaneuvered. They, even if they needed to, to engage these things, they are unable to do so. That is alarming, and I still don't think the large majority, well, I know the large majority of the general public, still has not accepted that fact that we have unknowns in our airspace. Um, for whatever reason, it's very strange, and I think the alien part of it really gets mixed into there, so they just dismiss it and say, oh, of course there aren't aliens. But number one, we don't know that. But number two, that's kind of inconsequential to the very basic fact that UFOs are real. We're still back at that that very baby step of, of the public knowing that UFOs are in fact real. Um, what they are is the big question. So the the one in the um, the opinion piece in the New York Times, talking about uh, you know considering aliens, uh, I was put off by the title at first because that's something that I, I think a lot of people, especially with a lot of the, the recent videos and even some of the the military narrative being pushed, is that we're dealing with extraterrestrial spacecraft. Um, that is jumping the gun, in my opinion. It's certainly a possibility and one that an objective researcher can always entertain. And I certainly always keep that possibility. But, you know, that is jumping the gun without sufficient evidence to support that. Um, and I think it's kind of insulting to... Uh, it's insulting and embarrassing, I think, for, for people to jump to extraterrestrial just because it's something that is strange to us or, or we don't personally understand. We see that a lot with ancient aliens, with, with the pyramids, you know, and I think that's insulting to the humans who did uh, die building the pyramids and doing incredible things. Humans have accomplished incredible things. I have a low opinion of, of humans. I think humans are pretty awful most of the time. You know, for me to say that it is pretty huge. But I do think humans have accomplished quite a lot. And uh, I do think there's a lot that happens in our world and things we experience that you know, we, we can't explain in the moment things that are strange and bizarre to us. But to say, I don't know what that is, therefore aliens, is, it, it's, it's really stupid. It is. It's, it's irresponsible. It's not scientific. And it's the wrong way to go. Um, if we are being visited by extraterrestrials, you know, still, I think that kind of thinking 
is, is irresponsible to just say, I don't know what that is. That's bizarre. Um, on on these uh, you know computer systems, on these uh, you know satellites and, and different things, so, this dot looks weird. So it must be aliens. I, I don't think that helps move res- UFO research forward at all. I think that's sloppy, and I think again to our previous point that uh, just opens the door to more UFO ridicule and people not uh, being willi- willing to take the UFO subject mm-hmm. seriously. Absolutely, and I think uh, the thing to keep in mind with these two recent articles that came out with, um, uh, I believe there's going to be a podcast attached to one of them. I believe it was the New Yorker magazine. They're doing a podcast. Cool. That's again, like this is the stuff that sheds the stigma. And I think that's what we're seeing with the UAP task force, uh, as well is destigmatizing it so that the pilots and the carrier crew members will come forward. You know, Adam Kehoe, this, uh, this guy who writes, his own blog, he put it best that one of the biggest threats isn't the UFOs themselves. It's not reporting it because it could be a threat, but it's not getting reported. And that's because of the stigma in it. So um, bravo to Adam for covering that. I know he's not the first to do it, but he, he put it so concisely. And I think that's what we're seeing. You know, we're seeing literally almost, you know, without even a day in between all of these mainstream outlets covering UFOs again, and whether that's a concerted effort by certain individuals to get this out there, or it's because of the pending UAP report countdown. I mean, we're getting excited. The public is getting excited. What is the Pentagon going to say? Probably not a whole lot. I'm still under that assumption. Um, the good stuff is possibly what's getting leaked right now, um, or or not. I don't know. But um, yeah, I think the thing to keep in mind always is... Uh, UFOs are real. You put it best, brother. The government in the U.S. and other governments around the world have acknowledged that UFOs exist. That is, while it may be a baby step, it's a huge step in the evolution of the discourse on this topic. So I think that's pretty awesome. UFO researchers need to keep in mind, and it's a hard one, too. I mean, we've been hyper-focused on this for so many years. You know, we forget that. We forget that so often because we live through this stuff. But we need to always remember that we're still back at that initial baby step with the general public. The general public still doesn't realize and still doesn't accept that UFOs are actually a thing. You know, that's why you always see the things, are UFOs real? We're back at that step. So We are, but, uh, you know, it's, it's such a, profru- a profound question that that baby step is actually huge. It's absolutely huge. And I think we really are... I don't like to get too too hopeful, but I think we are in a paradigm shift in how this topic is dealt with. Um, I think we're going to see so much more coming out. I'm super excited about all of it, to be completely honest. But um, yeah, I'm excited to hear what Jason McClellan is up to next. We've been going for about an hour. Jason, thank you for giving me your time, brother, to do all this. But um, before we wrap things up, what do you got going on over at Rogue Planet? Is there anything else you can share with other projects you're possibly doing in the UFO sphere? And yeah, give it to us, my man. Sure. So I guess a couple of things I can share is that I've got some some TV projects in the works. Um, we've got some show changes at Rogue Planet. We're going to be 
modifying what we do with our UFO podcast, Unknown, um, probably starting with with, uh, 2022. In the new year, we're going to take on a new format, um, and that's all I'll say about that, but I'm really excited about that, and that involves you. Um, You and I are going to have some fun in 2022. So that's cool. Um, and it might be on the same topic as some upcoming TV stuff. And let's see how much more vague and Jeremy Corbell like can I be? (laughs) That's the problem with these projects, man. Um, but, uh, the other thing I can announce is that what we're, uh, another thing we're doing with the podcast with, with unknown, um, and the changes there is we are going to separate out our wildly popular UFO happy hour. And UFO Happy Hour is going to become its own standalone show. So it will be a monthly podcast um, that has a video component to it. So we'll do the video as well, where Ryan and I and our our fellow Rogue Planeteers will get together every month, grab a drink, and talk about the UFO news that has taken place and, and caught headlines for that month. So UFO Happy Hour is going to be its own standalone brand new show. I'm super excited, man. Tell us a little about uh, the other podcast, too, the one you're doing with Shane over there as well at Rogue Planet. Oh, yeah. So we we recently rolled out a show called um, Old Fashioned UFOs. And, you know, at Rogue Planet, we certainly like to drink. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> so Old Fashioned UFOs, we take two things we love. Old Fashions, so we drink an Old Fashioned on the show, and we talk about old cases, um, we're, we're both fans of historical cases. I think historical cases have immense value and I think they get left behind a lot because you know, people in the UFO field are kind of tired of hearing about them over and over, but I think they have incredible value. And certainly a lot of what we do at Rogue Planet is not uh, specific or, or catered to, to the UFO community. You know, a big, big important part of what we do is, is trying to, to reach out to the general public and, and educate, uh, do public education. So that's what we do. We revisit these, these old-fashioned cases while drinking an old-fashioned and uh, you know, kind of go through and, and give an overview of, of these old cases, the investigations that took place, and some of the conclusions. So that's been, been a lot of fun. Yeah, I hope to um, to partake in one of those soon with you guys because uh, uh, the minute you said old fashioned, my stomach started rumbling. I'm uh, I'm I'm fiending to get back to my bartending job just so I can make some drinks yes. again and uh, partake with you guys. Um, that's that's awesome, brother. Um, well, I have some exciting news. There is a podcast that just dropped recently called Strange Arrivals. That's over on. Uh, Aaron Mankey's podcast network, and it's awesome. It's hosted by Toby Ball, and um, it's all about Rendlesham and um, sort of the disinformation that has been kind of run rampant in the field throughout the decades, whether it's with the intelligence community, uh, a la Richard Doty, who might be even watching this. If you are, Richard, we're coming for you. Um, yeah, so check out Strange Arrivals. It just dropped its first episode with uh, John Burroughs and Jim Penniston. Um, I am featured in this podcast, so that is probably the ego-driven reason I'm bringing it up right now. <laughs> but it actually has to do with um, with a lot of the topics discussed in an upcoming guest of the show, uh, his new book, Saucer Spooks and Kooks by Adam Go nice. Rightly. I love this book, man. It's so good. I just, I'm breezing through it. Um, a lot of the things, you know, that we know about the whole Benowitz affair and, um, 
you know, Linda Moton Howe and her cattle mutilation documentary and how Dodie was connected to that. And just a lot of the, the, um, the process of belief and how it often clouds the judgment in the UFO field and how intelligence communities might take advantage of that. So are we possibly seeing a lot of that happening right now in the UFO field? Adam asks a lot of these questions. So we're going to have him on the show soon. Uh, check out Strange Arrivals. Check out all the Rogue Planet podcasts. And yeah, anything else, Jason, before we wrap things up here, brother? You know, when you talk about Rendlesham, it made me think of two things. Number one, it made me think of our buddy uh, Robbie Graham just went to Rendlesham Forest birthday. That's awesome. And we should all go there sometime and go with Robbie and and go to Rendlesham Forest. That would be rad. But number two, what would make an amazing drunken podcast sometime is to get some of the Rendlesham guys on to, we definitely need to have them drunk, share some of their thoughts about working with Linda Moulton Howe. Just saying. Just saying. Yep. Yeah, we've we've heard some stories for sure. Awesome, my man. Well, more stories to be told in the coming days as this uh, new video unravels into the mainstream by Jeremy Corbell. New stories abound with TV shows, podcasts, everything. So I want to thank everyone for watching, for listening. And I have to thank you again for coming on Somewhere in the Skies today, brother. Always a pleasure, Ryan. I love you, brother. Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.